Welcome to the First Generation Professionals Podcast, the show where we celebrate the journeys, successes, and stories of individuals who have paved the way in the professional world, breaking barriers and shattering stereotypes along the way. My name is Sarah Cortez. I'm your host for this episode, and today we have a remarkable guest joining us, Martha Tran. She is not just a groundbreaker, but a shining example of what it means to be a first-generation professional. She has defied the odds, overcome obstacles, and paved a unique path to success in the communication field. We'll dive deep into her journey, thoughts, and amazing advice throughout this episode, and we're confident that her journey will inspire you as much as it has inspired us. So, have a seat, relax, grab a friend, and prepare to be inspired as we embark on a journey of resilience, determination, and triumph with our exceptionally talented guest, Martha Tran. Thank you so much for coming, Martha. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm super excited. <laughs> Let's get things started. If you could please provide a brief overview of your educational background and professional experience. For example, what did you major and minor in when you were in university? Where do you work and how did you get into that position? Yeah, so again, thank you so much for having me here. Name is Martha Tran, pronouns she, her, hers. I'm currently a professor of communication. So I'm actually gonna be teaching at Pepperdine University. And I just recently moved back to the 805. I grew up in Oxnard but I had moved away um, to the Orange County area. So recently came back. I, because I'm from the area, I actually went to Moorpark College first, then I transferred to Cal State Channel Islands where I got my bachelor's in communication, the nonprofit emphasis. Then I went to Pepperdine University where I got a master's of science in intercultural and organizational communication. And it was at grad school that I found a passion for teaching, uh, which is really ironic because when I was an undergrad at Cal State Channel Islands, Dr. John Udelson, who you may or may not know from campus, I know he retired not too long ago, said to me, he said, you know what, Martha, you're going to be a great professor one day. And I literally laughed in his face. I was like... <laughs> Oh, Dr. Udelson, you obviously don't know me. I could never be a professor. And now here I am. Um, so I, I've taught public speaking. I've also taught first year experience at Cal State Fullerton. I've taught at Oxnard College. And I've also had a full career in student affairs. Um, so sort of like the two main sides of academia, right? The faculty side, the academic side, and also the student affairs side. So at Cal State Channel Islands, I helped create the Multicultural Dream Center that you all know. I created resources for undocumented students and worked with creating programs and support systems for students from underrepresented backgrounds. And that was what I did at Cal State Fullerton. So I went to Cal State Fullerton and I ran their Dream Resource Center. So I was there for a couple years and I'm, I'm super proud of that career because I truly feel that I gave all of myself um, 
in advocating for undocumented students. Um, I myself am undocumented. I am currently a DACA recipient. And so when I was in college, there were no resources. Faculty didn't know um, what it meant when a student told them they were undocumented. And so it felt full circle for me to be able to be in a position where I was advocating for students like myself. And um, I like to think that I've been able to help um, some students reach their dreams and, and navigate higher education. So now I'm back in my hometown, which I love, um, plan to return to my career as a professor. It's, it's what I love. I never had a teacher who looked like me, talked like me, or came from my neighborhood. And that's what I want to be for folks. So my favorite part of teaching is the very first day where everyone is staring at me, waiting for the professor to walk in. And then I'm like, hi, your professor is a young brown woman. What's up? Let's do this thing. Um, that part never gets old. And yeah, that's, that's kind of really the gist. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love hearing your journey. It's so admirable that you continue wanting to help your community of people who are DACA students and that you want are you are a professor and you will continue being a professor. I just love like hearing how at first you were just like, no, I don't want to be a professor because I feel like that's like so many it's like a part of like so many professors' journeys is that they're mm -hmm. like, no, I don't want to be a part of the teaching mm -hmm. field. And then eventually they're like, oh. I do actually want to be a part of the teaching field. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to ask you, did your background as a first-gen student influence any of these choices? And did any specific factors play a role? Oh, gosh. Every single one. <laughs> Every single one, right? So for me, um, so I am Mexican. Right? Um, right. I was born in Mexicali, Mexico, brought here when I was a year old. Um, first one in my family to go to college. And when I say first, I mean, literal first, like no cousins, no aunts, uncles, no second or third or fourth, literally nobody, right. literally nobody. So everyone was always supportive, but no one knew what I was doing. <laughs> so I didn't know what I was doing. And once I became, you know, once I finished school and I was in the workforce, I very quickly realized that I needed to unlearn a lot of things. Um, being first gen, being, you know, undocumented in a world with options. So for me, my parents, my family, it's, we are, you are grateful for the job you have and you give 150% to that job, no matter what. And so that's how I started and surprise, surprise, it led to burnout, right? It right. led to me accepting things that I should not have accepted, right? So I realized early on, I needed to unlearn a lot of this, right? Because I didn't feel worthy. Right. I mean, right. I finished grad school. I had job offers 
before, well, even from undergrad, I had job offers before I finished my undergrad and I had to convince my parents that I wanted to go to grad school because they were like, but why, if you can start working now, isn't school to get a job, right? So that was like confusing. So I had to kind of stick to my guns. And then once I had those jobs, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities that I had. And early on, I was also taken advantage of, which is kind of normal. This is a capitalistic society, right? You got to look out for yourself, but no one taught me that. People taught me how to work. You know, I am proud of the fact that I have a very strong work ethic, but it also means that I wasn't always paid what I should have been paid. I, you know, there were times in my early career where I was working 12, 14 hours a day because I thought that's what I was supposed to do, right? Right. And so I've had to do so much unlearning. And I joke with my friends and family, it's like, listen, these work culture, we need to adapt to new country, okay? (laughs) New country, as in, I'm only gonna work for what you've paid for. I'm not going to go above and beyond. My life is not going to be work. Um, So a lot of unlearning. And to this day, every single decision I make, I feel like a cognitive dissonance, right? Right. (laughs) Because it doesn't, it's not natural. Mm -hmm. And it was never taught to me to feel empowered, to feel that I am worthy of more. Right. So even the idea of negotiating is like to this day that I still haven't figured out. Okay. So if if you interview someone else who has figured out the art negotiating, let me know. I want to hear it. That I still very much struggle with because my mind is still stuck in the, I'm supposed to just say, thank you so much for hiring me and just take it. So I'm learning to be selfish to have a bit of an ego and be like, listen, I'm kind of a badass. I've done some really cool shit. So I need to be compensated for that, right? Because I, right. I have skill sets, um, but that's hard. That's so right. hard. And I've recently come to accept that it's going to be a lifelong, lifelong learning process for me of learning and unlearning. I would like to go back to when you were in university. So do you feel that you were equipped with the appropriate resources to succeed in life in and after university? That's a great question and a complicated answer for me. Um, So I found out that I was undocumented when I was 17 years old um so for me so much of the experience is partly yes first gen being the first in the family to do these things but also being undocumented right and so when I started college it was 2009 
And yes, I'm a, I'm an, I'm a millennial. <laughs> that makes sense. That's also why I overwork because I'm a millennial. Y'all, y'all got a much better balance. <laughs> Us poor millennials are just like trying too hard to be honest. Um, but so for me, uh, those two identities, um, are kind of the main identities that I've always shown up because they are the ones that I have to navigate. Right. So as far as, did I have the resources? No, I didn't. Right. Um, back in 2009, there was no DACA program. I was fully undocumented in danger of deportation. I didn't have a driver's license because if you didn't have papers, you couldn't get a driver's license. I couldn't get any sort of financial aid. So it was before a lot of the resources that now exist, even, you know, so it was when I was in school, even though it wasn't that long ago, it was more, it was still a bit of a taboo topic. Right. Right. Um, And for me being in the communication field, the majority of my professors were white. I really didn't have professors of color. So Maybe there were allies. I didn't know. Right. Right. So I just pretended. I just played the part. I faked it, to be honest. Um, What helped me, though, was although my parents didn't know anything about higher education in this country, they value education and they value learning. So I did have a great emotional support system right? Um, My mom could never help me with homework, not even in the first grade, much less in college. But if I was up late at two, three in the morning writing a paper, she was up late with me, making me un cafecito, giving me, you know, I I always had food. So I, I also very much recognize that I'm very privileged in the sense that although I had some barriers, I always lived at home, right? I I don't know what hunger is. I, I, you know, I've always had a roof over my head. My dad and I, you know, worked really hard and we always, my parents, once I started college, they prioritized paying tuition over paying the mortgage, you know, like, so all of that gave me drive and I guess by nature, I'm a bit of a nerd at heart. So (laughs) I had a passion for learning, right? And and you can't teach passion. So even though I didn't have a lot of the other tangible resources, my drive and my passion for learning, I would literally just knock on doors, right? right? When I first transferred to Cal State Channel Islands, I'll never forget. Um you know, when you transfer, they tell you, you need at least two years, right? In order to graduate. Well, my dad said, we only have enough money for three semesters, max, max, like even that was like pushing it. Right. And I was like, okay, all right, well, we're going to figure this out. And I literally went down the hallway. I don't know. I don't know if it's still set up the same way, um, but in Bell Tower, right? It was oh, one hallway yeah. where all the counselors were, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I made appointments with multiple and I showed up with my little binder 
because no one taught me, but I taught myself. And I did a lot of Googling and a lot of researching. And I, I already knew what classes I needed, what all of it. I had my little binder with my plan and everything. And I would walk in with the counselor and I would say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I need to finish this degree in three semesters. Can you help me? Most of them said, no, it can't be done. And I simply said, okay, thank you. And walked out the door and tried the next one. Um, and one of them was like, all right, let's do this thing. And he did. He supported me. He told me, because a part of what I had to do since it was such a short time was I had to ask professors to allow me. I had to be allowed to take certain classes. Um, but he told me how to do it because no one knows these forms. Right. <laughs> no one knows, you know, what is a dean? What is a chair? Yeah. I don't know. So he helped me. He was like, okay, this is what you got, you know, and, and, and we made it through. So I may not have had the pathway, but I had the drive to make my own path the next day and just keep fighting for my life. Because also being undocumented, it was like, failure isn't an option. I, I have to succeed. My parents literally left everything just so that I could sit in a classroom. So I'll be damned if anyone tells me I'm not worthy. And a lot of people told me a lot, I wasn't worthy. A lot of people told me I didn't deserve to sit in a classroom. And I just went, okay, watch me. And a lot of people regret underestimating me. I'll say that. <laughs> Thank you so much. So you mentioned how your counselor was like really there for you and was like, all right, I'll give like a chance on you. Were there any other like mentors that you might've had or professors during your time at Channel Islands or even during your master's program who significantly impacted your intellectual development? Yes, yes. The easy question is yes, 100%. Um, and I think that's a part of what is hard right? When you are the first, mm -hmm. it is very lonely. Yeah. And I don't think people tell you how lonely it's going to be. Um, so you have to find your people. Right. And one thing that I learned is finding your people, finding your support system is tricky. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we assume well, let me go find somebody that looks like me because they're going to be on my team. And that's not always the case. Right. Right. And so you have to push yourself outside of your comfort zone mm -hmm. to meet people, to ask for help. Right. Um, and once I started doing that, once I started doing that, that's when things really kind of started rolling, right? So that right. counselor and yeah, going to the professors and being like, listen, the reason why I need you to let me take this course so early is because I cannot afford to be here. And they were like, oh, okay. You know, like I was just honest, yeah. you know, right. um, graduate school, I was incredibly lucky. 
um, to have met faculty who, it is an understatement to say that they changed my lives or they changed my life. Sorry, right. I spoke there. Um, there was one professor in particular, Dr. Rosalind Satchel. I adore her. Um, an incredible, incredible academic civil rights activist. She's a lawyer. She's a pastor. She's a mom. She's an all around badass. Um, I was the only Latina in my graduate program, the only Latina in the whole department, (laughs) because this is Pepperdine, this is a PWI, right? Yeah. Um, And she was the only Black faculty. She was the only Black woman. And she very much took me under her wing. And she did her own research on what it meant to be undocumented. And by that point I had DACA and she did her own research to help me. Mm -hmm. And um, she helped me emotionally as far as like pep talks, but she also helped me in that she pushed me. I think sometimes too, we meet people that will be great support systems, but because Mm -hmm. they don't say what we wanna hear, we assume they're not on our team. Right. A good faculty, staff member, mentor will push you. Right. Right. Because someone who just says, oh my gosh, you're so great. You're perfect. Yeah. That feeds our ego, but that's not going to help us get to the next step. Right. And Dr. Satchel never let me get comfortable. (laughs) Oh, you got an A. That's cute right? Like she pushed me, right? Like, of of course you got an A because you're in grad school. No one's questioning your intelligence, but what are you doing with it? Well, damn. Okay. You know, right. 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 That idea of, you know, like, okay, what are you doing with this intelligence? What are you doing with these resources? And so pushed me to grow and to question, um, and, and I think that that's so important when you are looking for mentors, don't just get someone who's going to build you up. Cause yeah, we need that. Um, but we also need people who can see a future for us that maybe we don't see. Thank you. Um, I'd like to go back also to your university times when you were either undergrad or grad Did you participate in any extracurricular activities or organizations such as internships, part-time jobs that helped you during your academic journey? Yeah, Um, that is one part that I don't want to say regret Mm -hmm. because you never want to regret anything, but I wish I would have had more time to take part in more things. Right. Um, Because especially once I had a career in student affairs, I realized how much cool stuff there is. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I was so focused on the hustle and the success of the degree that I completely put aside all of the other incredible opportunities. So to anybody listening. Do it. It's not a waste of time. 
do it, do it, do it. Because I think that's a part of it too, right? First gen, hustle, hustle, hustle. If it's not for the ultimate goal, then it's a waste of time. No, bullshit. Sorry, I've been like cussing. I hope that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. You're good. <laughs> but you know, there's so many, like being a part of organized student organizations, going to events going you know being a part of going to the lectures going to the parties like all of that is a learning experience okay like it truly is and I missed out on that and and I that is the one thing that it's like dang I wish I hadn't been so hyper focused because I completely missed out on a different area of growth because you do learn yeah. You do learn and you do grow. And, you know, I, I did a couple things I did, um, but, but they were always academic, right? Like I'm such a nerd. Like I was a part of like Phi Theta Kappa and like, you know, but they were like in mortarboard at Channel Islands, but those are academic based, you know? Um, I wish I would have done more things. I wish I would have gone to more parties. I wish I would have had more fun. Again, as first gen, we were told to just hustle. To just and girl, I my whole time in higher ed, I never had less than three jobs because I had to pay for everything, and I had to pay for everything in cash, right? Because I went to school pre yeah financial aid for undocumented students, right? So like I paid in full in cash. <laughs> So like I was hustling and I'm proud of that. And I wish I would have taken some time to join like a sports club, to go on adventures, to meet people, to be silly, to be young. Um, That's allowed. We are, you are allowed to enjoy your college experience. You are allowed to go to a party. You are allowed to try new things. You're allowed to fail. It's the best way to learn. Thank you so much. Honestly, I personally just needed to hear that. Honestly, just like, just like, I just need to like, enjoy like the little things, like realistically, because I feel like even transferring into yep I didn't get to like do like that much when I was at community college and like now over here I'm like oh I have like one year left I have to squeeze like everything that I have now before it's like too late yes so like I know that you're doing this right now but as soon as we're done please like message some people and be like (laughs) hey who want you know what I mean like yeah go for a walk around the campus but well it's kind of hot right now so like yeah. go, go to the beach it's still summer go to the beach go right the the homework the podcast it'll be there tomorrow <laughs> go to the beach go to the freaking beach okay like enjoy it enjoy your time go run around and jump in all the fountains before you graduate right <laughs> Go take it. There's the, um, oh, I, I just completely forgot what it's called, but at the Harbor, the university has at Channel Islands oh, Harbor, yeah. 
They have kayaks. Go, go kayaking. It's free. Like your student ID gets you into so much stuff, either for free or discounted. Go do it. I will. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll go back to the question. We'll go back to a question to go back on to, to the topic. So what kind of challenges did you find building networks and connections as a first-gen student when you were in undergrad and or grad? Mm. Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think the biggest challenge was that being first-gen, I had to, I had to create the networks versus for a lot of folks, the network's built in, right? They're the child of an alum. They're like at Pepperdine, legacy is a thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, um, I commute here from Oxnard in my Hyundai. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the only connection I had to Pepperdine was like, oh, I have an uncle that like, was on the construction site that built this campus but like that's it you know um so I I think that part right that a lot of the networks um a lot of people just inherently have them right oh my mom was a sorority so I'll do the sorority oh my dad did this sport in college so I'll do this sport oh my cousin did you know whereas when you're first gen it's like hi (laughs) I just got here (laughs) you know (laughs) so you have to actually build your network um and that takes it takes energy it takes time it takes making yourself uncomfortable and and signing up for things and trying things and talking to people which isn't always easy, you know? So I think just the fact that it's not, it's not a part of the, we do not get the all-inclusive package. (laughs) We have to pay for all the (laughs) add-ons. You have to go find them. (laughs) So many add-ons. Okay, moving on to our next question. What does being a first-generation professional mean to you? That one's hard to answer because so much comes up in hearing that. Um, It's emotional, right? What it means to me to be a first-gen professional, it kind of means everything, right? Um, I am so proud to be the first. I am so proud to show my family that there are options. I am relieved to have survived. And there's also survivor's guilt. It's literally the reason my family came to this country. So it's a sense of almost peace, right? Because it's like, okay, I I did what my parents wanted Mm -hmm. and I'm also able to pursue some of my own dreams, um, which isn't always possible, you know, um, it's, it's a lot of feelings because it's a lot of mixed feelings, right? Like, yes, I'm super proud to be the first 
And I am sad that I'm so lonely on this path. I think when I was younger, I naively thought that all of my cousins were going to follow me. Like, yeah, of course, of course, of course, I'm, I'm opening up this path and there's going to be this like long line behind me and, and there isn't, you know, and, and so I'm quite alone on this path at times and, and learning to be okay with that. And, you know, realizing that it's not about how many people follow you on the path. It's the fact that you made the path, right? Because we all have free will and everyone gets to choose what works for them. I also, being a first-gen professional, feel at peace with myself in the sense that I know that I have always done what is best for myself. I've always given my best regardless of the context. And I, I can be genuinely proud of not just the successes, but also the failures because I've, without the all-inclusive package, you know, <laughs> figuring it out on my own, finding people to help me. Um, so I'm, I'm able to, to be at peace with that because I've, I've never lost my sense of self. I haven't changed who I am. Um, How did your experience as a first-gen student shape your understanding? I know you went a little bit into it about your own identity, but I was wondering if you could expand on maybe like your cultural heritage. Yeah, for sure. Um, Super, super important because through, through education, being exposed to different opinions, different ways of life, different worldviews. I think people really underestimate how important it is to learn about others in order to fully understand yourself. So being first gen, you know, and, and, and I grew up in Oxnard in a Mexican immigrant family, that's kind of all I knew. All I knew was Mexican that that was it and you know Oxnard is is on the smaller side there isn't you know as as much diversity everyone's kind of in their own little pocket so what college allows you to do is to just learn (laughs) and and I loved I you know both as a student as and as an employee I loved learning still do from students who look nothing like me you know, students who speak other languages and, you know, oh, well, that's, that's a cool, you know, I'd never thought of it that way and different experiences. Um, it allowed me to be more compassionate towards others. Um, I definitely have, you know, uh, everything I do professionally always, always, always has critical thinking and activism in it. But that's because education taught me just how badly we need change in so many places, right? Because the reality, like it, like this, for example, 
right? This is great. This is great. I love when Dr. Christina Smith told me that there was this podcast. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. That's awesome. And my nerd brain is Mm -hmm. like, it sucks that this has to exist. It sucks that we have to figure out how to work within this system. But shouldn't this system just work for all of us? No. Because if you learn the history of higher education, you learn that hit, that institutions of higher education were not made for me and you. They were made for a very, very small group of people. And that's why it's so hard, right? So all of that, learning all of that, but, but who's going to teach me that? You know, my yeah. mom didn't know that. Like, that's not, you know. They don't teach you that in kindergarten, right? So learning about the true real history of society, of how things come to be um, is so important to our growth. And so for me, as I learned theories, um, I was also learning about the world, which in turn allowed me to then reflect. Thank you so much. I'd like to move on to this next question. Were there any specific resources, support systems, or strategies that you found helpful in navigating the academic and social aspects of college as a first-gen student? I think as cliche as it sounds, don't give up because sort of what we're just talking about, right? This, <laughs> yeah. This institution was not built for me. And, and the sooner you can accept that, the better. Because then you can get to the next step, which is the don't give up, right? Like, well, this institution wasn't made for me, but I'm going to make it work anyways, right? Don't right. get bogged down in the nose and the barriers. Keep pushing. I think another key thing is ask for help. I've realized, and I learned this more as a professional, people don't like asking for help. I don't fully get it. It's like, there's nothing wrong with asking a question. Like, seriously, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I don't know how to do this. Hey, I don't know what I'm supposed to ask my college counselor. I don't know what options I have with a communications degree. I don't know how to apply for a job. I don't know how to interview. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. And yeah, as a professional, so I'm like, just ask. (laughs) It's not, you know, just ask. So don't be afraid of asking questions. Right. Don't be afraid of asking questions. Ask questions, ask for help right? You have a big project, you've got a big intimidating thing. Chances are the person sitting next to you is just as intimidated. So be like, hey, I don't fully understand what's going on. You want to figure it out together? More likely than not, the person's going to be like, Oof, I don't know what to do either. Yeah, let's figure this out together. Another cliche, but teamwork makes the dream work. It does. I think this like idea for just like asking for help kind of stems from just like not wanting to inconvenience anyone like afraid to just being like oh I'm gonna interrupt like their day or something or they're gonna like judge me 
And so it's kind of just like that fear of just a lot of first gen definitely have it. I definitely had it for a while. I'm still getting over it yeah. of just like being able to just go and ask for help. Because like, as you said, someone else probably has that same exact question. More likely than not, always, if like you're not understanding it, someone else is also not understanding it. So there's no shame in asking for help. Or a lot of times too, right? We think if I ask for help, they're going to find out I don't belong here. Yeah. And that's when you have to remind yourself, okay, but you're already here. (laughs) (laughs) Like you're already here. So like, what are you trying to prove? Exactly. You're already here. Yeah. So just ask. And, and I mean, like be thoughtful in your questions, right? Like one thing, you know, also just coming from a professor's perspective, mm-hmm. do not ever go to professor and be like, so, so what did I miss? So, so what do I need to know? Ask thoughtful questions, <laughs> right? right? Do a little bit of your own research, mm-hmm. get to the core of what your question is, right? So you're not asking, how do I graduate in two years? <laughs> How do I pass this class? Do some of your own research Mm -hmm. so that then the question of how do I graduate in four years turns into how can I find the course pathway for this degree that would allow me to graduate in four years? That's more nuanced. That's more specific. Mm -hmm. You do your research you think, you reflect. So the question, how do I pass this course turns into professor, I see that a 12 page APA research paper is a majority of my grade. I've never had to do that before. Do you have an example to show me? Right. We're getting more nuanced. We're getting you know, yeah, be thoughtful in your questions, 100%. But don't be afraid to ask thoughtful questions. I also really like having like you here because you have the experience of being a student, but then also like from the professor side, just being like, hey, like if you want to ask questions, just like do this beforehand and then come over and just like ask because like you seem very sweet you seem like you're (laughs) definitely just like oh yeah just like ask me anything kind of person but like the "Mm, did you just like come in here without like any like preparation type of thing but also in the sense of like you just just come into like my office hours like type (laughs) yeah and I I I do I'm I'm glad you can see that because I do strive to be that, right? Like you can ask me anything Mm -hmm. and I will answer your question and I will also be like, okay, listen, this is how you need to go about it with somebody else. Right. Because I recognize that no one taught me that. I had to be laughed at, be ignored, be embarrassed. And I had to figure it out on my own. Right. Right. But I don't believe in, well, I suffered. So you have to suffer too. No, 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 no. Especially, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I was a student, mm-hmm. a professor in student affairs. I know how the hot dogs are made. Right. So there's no need, just, just ask me, cause I know how the hot dogs are made. I've seen it from multiple viewpoints. I know how all these different parts work and right. 
each part, each department also has very different expectations Mm -hmm. and different unspoken norms. How did your family and community react to your decision to pursue higher education, specifically as a communication major, just because I'm also a communication major and my family's still like, okay, but what is that? Yeah, they still ask me what it is. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I graduated, I think I'm coming on, I'm close to 10 years ago at this point. Um, So I am very lucky in the sense that my family, both nuclear family and extended family and community, um, were all extremely supportive. So even though no one had done it before and no one could provide like nitty gritty step one, step two, step three, everyone was supportive, right? Um, I always had a plethora of you got this. Um, which is super helpful. And I'm very, very lucky to have had that. Um, But yeah, a lot of them to this day don't understand what I studied or what (laughs) I do. And I've learned that a lot of times, or at least for me and my community and my family, they Mm -hmm. understand jobs more than they understand theory. Because especially for me, right? Being a professor, I went more down the theory route. So it's like, how am I supposed to explain that I'm learning how people act and react based on worldview from different theoretical lenses? Hmm. Right. That, and I remember trying to explain that one Christmas and it just, it just, it didn't, it was, it was a mess. It was a mess. But when I said, oh, I'm going to be a professor. Ah, es profesora. Mira que la Martita es profesora. Also, you know. Yeah. So it, it, I found it was easier to say, I can do this. This is a job that I can have. <laughs> um, and funny story, because I feel like someone out there who hears this is going to relate. Um, when I started working in student affairs, um, I told, I tried to explain to my mother in Spanish that I, mm-hmm. you know, was in charge of building these resources. And because I was working with undocumented students and I, I started this job in 26 in 2017 um it was a very public facing position mm-hmm. i met with politicians uh high levels of the csu things like that so my mother bless her heart started going around telling people that i was running the university i was like mommy no <laughs> yo no más reporto no, pero es que Marta, ya la encargada de la universidad allá. Sí, ella hace todo. No, mami. No, ch- no, no. Like, I was mortified. She was running around acting like I was Michelle Obama. I'm like, mami. <laughs> no. Like, that is not what I do. Like, thank you for thinking so highly of me, but please stop mm-hmm. telling everyone at church that I run the university. Because then all the church ladies were coming to me and asking me to just like stick their grandchildren in the school. And it's like, I'm not admissions. I can't. <laughs> and your laughter makes me feel like you know what I'm talking about. 
Oh, I have have way too similar stories like that. Yes. Yes. And, and you know what, just take it for what it is, which is they're just so proud. They're just so proud. They're just so happy, you Mm. know, correct it when necessary. You know, I I had to tell a lot of señoras, I'm, I'm so sorry, but I'm not admissions. I, I, I can't just put your grandchild into the university. That's not something I can do. However, I am more than happy to sit with your grandchild and talk with them about their goals. Right. Right. Because it's just coming from a place of love, from a place of pride, because that's something else that happens when you're first gen. Once the neighborhood knows, oh, Lord, (laughs) get ready. Your phone number is going to be given to everybody. Okay. (laughs) I cannot tell you when I was living in Orange County, I had so many like neighbors, grandkids, cousins, friends who apparently had my cell phone number, but because I lived in Orange County, mm-hmm. anyone that sent their kids to college in the Orange County area, my mom just gave them my cell phone number. So it's like, thanks, mom. I'm 27, have no children, yet I'm responsible for the safety and success of 10 19 year olds who I've never met. Cool. No pressure. <laughs> you know, just just know it's going to happen. Don't fight it. Correct when you can and take the love because, because that's what it is. It's just pride and love. That's all it is. Right. Thank you so much for that story. I, as you could tell from my laughter, I definitely related to that. I feel like I'm going to still relate to that even like 30 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you will. (laughs) You will. Okay. So as you said before, you are a professor and then you are also part of student affairs. So I assume that you have had the opportunity to mentor and support other first-generation students. And if you have had the opportunity, how has that been for you? Ooh, great question. I, I have, and I, I hope um, that I have helped people, you know, I'm very much the type of meeting people where they're at, Mm -hmm. right? So I've had students ask me for support, for mentorship, whatever you want to call it, um, in very different stages, right? Right. I've, I've had the go-getters who have most of it figured out, but just need some emotional, you got this? Cool. I give them that. I've had the activists, you know, especially working with undocumented students. I've had the activist students who want to get involved in the politics of it all. And I'm like, cool. Yeah, let's do it. And I connect them with the people that can get them in the room. And um, for those students, I've um, I've used my background in communication to help teach them, you know, how do you formulate a story and public speaking and, and how, how you keep control of your story, mm-hmm. even as a student activist, right? Um, I've also had students who are shy and they don't, you know, they, they, they don't want to be out there. They don't want everyone to know their problems. They're just trying to kind of get by and, and that's okay too, um, it is, 
very rewarding, mm-hmm. but I will say it also can be very emotional. Um, right. I immediately think of uh, when I was at Cal State Fullerton, mm-hmm. it was, it was the academic year before the pandemic. So 2018, 2019, mm-hmm. a graduate student um, came to the Dreamer Resource Center, um, very shy. And she shared with me that she was undocumented and she didn't know what to do. Okay. And she didn't have DACA. She didn't have a lot of options because mm-hmm. um, she had overstayed a student visa. So it made it trickier. Um, but I, I worked with her, right? But but mm-hmm. she was very, very shy. She was very, very scared. Um, so, but in that year, year and a half that I worked with her, it started with, we would have kind of like secret meetings because she didn't want anyone to know that she was meeting with me to talk about <laughs> undocumented issues. And I'm like, that's okay. I know how to keep it on the down low. Um, right. To her towards the end, feeling confident coming. She was a graduate student um, in math. This woman, brilliant. Oh my God. Her brain was just incredible. And she started coming into the center to do her own homework at first, sort of in the corner. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I'd walk in and she was like tutoring people. She was like helping people. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so very much like got more comfortable in the space right. with herself, you know, and, and realize like, girl, you're a badass. Like you're insanely smart. Like don't hide that. Um, and in December, mm-hmm. cause it was for Christmas she comes into my office one day and she brings me a little plant. It was a small little owl thing. Um, And it had a jade plant. It's a kind of succulent. And she said, this is from my mom. We are so thankful for everything you've done for me. And in our culture, um, this is considered a good luck plant. So my mom wanted me to present you with this um, in hopes that it can bring you luck and success in your life. And I was like, oh my God, I cried. And then I'm sitting in my office and I'm like, oh my God, but I'm like the killer of plants. (laughs) I can't keep plants alive. But a student gave this to me and it was so touching. I have to find, so then I'm like Googling how to keep doing plants alive, right? Right. Fast forward a couple months. We're now in 2020. She was set to graduate in the spring of 2020. Um, We all are sent home. I get an email from her in the summer of 2020. She had graduated, um, but she had also decided to go back to her home country. It it was just too hard. She was already up against a lot of barriers. And once the lockdown happened, the options that she had disappeared. So her and her family essentially were like, this this dream is no longer possible. It is causing more pain, more hardship. Let's just go back and restart again. And 
that like destroyed me because she's freaking brilliant. I wish I was as smart as her. Wicked, wicked brilliant. Such an incredible soul. I I saw her, you know, tutoring and I'm like, not only do you know this super complicated stuff, you also know how to teach it. You know, like genuinely such a beautiful, beautiful soul. And I'm like, oh God. And I'm, I'm sitting at home in my little makeshift home office in the summer of 2020. And I, and I have that little owl, the plant has grown a little bit and I'm like, okay. That plant is now my most treasured plant because I have an unhealthy emotional connection to that plant. And I'm like, I'm pissed and I feel survivor's guilt that I have found a way to make a life here and she wasn't able to. So I'm like, okay, little jade plant, you are the last piece of her left in this country. You got to make it. I have tried other plants. They have all died. This one has not. This one has not. It has actually grown quite a bit. It's like huge. I'll email you pictures. I'll email okay. you pictures. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had to like repot it because it's like gotten huge and I've even made like multiple pots of it. But I always think of her. I always think of her and I, I don't know how much of an impact I made in her life. I hope that it was good right? Like when a student comes to me, I'm just like, I hope that I can be a source of joy, a source of peace, and a source of hope. That was Sorry for making you cry. You're good. You're good. Um, we are almost at our last question. This is our second to last question. Yeah. If you could give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh my God, girl, like, uh... <laughs> okay, come on, Martha. Like, bring up the mood, Martha, bring up the mood. Um, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That's it. Because I think we also get so in our heads and we have so much pressure to succeed, quote unquote, right. succeed, whatever the heck that means. Screw success. Whatever the heck that means. Be okay. And, and younger me, student Martha, was constantly afraid, constantly hustling, con constantly moving the goalpost. I, I also was never happy with where I was. I just kept... Right. Well, success must be the next thing. And I'd reach it, eh, it must be the next thing. And I'd reach it, it must be the next thing. Education is important. It is mm -hmm. valuable. It is not everything. I know ironic coming from a professor, but it's not <laughs> everything. It's not. It's just a piece. Um, so I would tell younger Martha to chill out a little bit and it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. 
Thank you so much. As we leave our listeners, if your journey as a first-gen student and professional could be captured in one song, what anthem would you choose to represent the triumphs, challenges, and perseverance that define your remarkable story? Oh, I know. So I love Beyonce, right? Right. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> I love Beyonce. Um, her song, I Was Here. Look that one up. I will. I was here. The lyrics, I lived, I loved, I was here. That's it. I lived, I loved, I was here. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of the First Generation Professionals podcast. We hope you found Martha Tran's conversation as inspiring and helpful as I did. Her experience serves as a reminder that with persistence, hard work, and a solid support system, anyone, regardless of background, can overcome barriers, achieve their objectives, and inspire others. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Together, we can continue to celebrate the remarkable stories of first-generation professionals who have paved the way for future generations. Remember, you too have the power to break barriers and shatter stereotypes in your own journey. This has been Sarah Cortez signing off and thanking you amazing listeners for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, take Martha's advice, and don't forget to take a break, go to the beach, because you're going to be okay. Go have fun. Go to the beach. <laughs>